Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. One of the first messages that I ever preached at Anchor Church, um, in fact, I don't think we had even started Anchor Church yet. I think we were kind of doing pre-launch services, and we were just building DNA into the team and uh, just kind of talking about what we believe God had called us to. And one of the first messages I ever shared was a message called, Called to Adventure. Called to Adventure. We had this sense in our hearts that what God had called us to was this great adventure that we were going to go on. And uh, at that time, um, the movie, uh, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty had just come out, and uh, it was a great movie. And I remember a specific scene in that movie. I actually showed this, and I, and I, and I, and I you know, shared this in the church. But there's that scene uh, where he's sitting kind of like in a, a, a negatives room where he's developing photographs, and, and it's down in the basement, and he's kind of in obscurity, and he looks at this photo of this photographer that he really looks up to, one of the best photographers that sent photos through to the magazine called Sean O'Connell, and, and this guy living this great adventure, and as he looks to the photo, there's this moment where this guy kind of beckons him, this call to come and to go on this adventure. I kind of uh, have that scene right here, and I'll just let that loop a couple times for your enjoyment. But there was something in that moment that I was like, I feel like that. I feel like I am Ben Stiller. Not that I ever want to be Ben Stiller, but I feel like I'm Ben Stiller in that moment. And, and, and Sean O'Connell is literally the Holy Spirit saying, come, will you come on this adventure? Will you follow me? Will you go with me? And, uh, and, and how many of you know, when you sign up for an adventure, you have no idea what, what, what lies ahead. You have no idea how difficult it's going to be. How many of you have been super excited at the beginning of a hike? right? You got your water bottle, you got your boots, you don't ever use a leather man, but you have one and now it's on your belt. Um, and you are ready for this hike and you are so excited to, to go on this journey. And like 10 minutes in, you're like, what was I thinking? Like, what, what did I sign up here for? And, and I remember doing this uh, at one point in the Drakensberg and, and, uh, and we, were, we were pretty um, excited to go on this hike and it was called World's View. And the reason why is because you climb to the top of the world, all right? That's basically how far it was uh, out in the Drakensberg. And we nearly died. My parents were with us on that hike. I actually physically nearly died because I almost stepped on a puff adder um, I was leading the charge. I thought my parents were walking too slow. I nearly stepped on the snake. It actually struck at me and luckily missed with one leg. I jumped 10 meters, nearly fell off a mountain. And then after that, I said, it's okay, Dad, you can walk in front. Um, and, so, and so we never know what we sign up for when we say yes to the adventure. And when we see that Jesus calls us, you know, he walks past, and this amazes me, he walks past some disciples. He walks past James and John. And they are busy mending their nets after a night of fishing. They're standing with their dad. It's their family business. It's the trade that they've been in. It's their livelihood. It's their security. It's everything. And Jesus says, come and follow me. Just, just that. Just follow me. He doesn't explain the journey. He doesn't say what you're going to face. He doesn't mention what the pitfalls are going to be and how difficult it might be and, 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 and what might be along the road. Jesus doesn't do that when he calls us. He just says, follow me. He just does the, the you know, the Sean O'Connell, the, just come, come follow me. And we have no idea what we're signing up for. It reminds me also of a time that um, I was a youth pastor, and I wanted to hang out with some of the young guys 
um, in, in the youth and, and do some social time. And so on a Saturday, I took them, I was mountain biking at the time, and so I took them out to Northern Farms, and we are going to go mountain biking, um, but I'd done the route a couple of times. The first time I did it, I was actually with Kieran, and I nearly died that day, but, um, but, but now I was used to the route, and so I took these young guys, they were maybe 15, 16 years old, and when we got there, they were doing little wheelies on their bikes and, and little bunny hops, and they were just super excited, and, um, and obviously I went too far. Because at one point, they could see the, the finish line, and I was like, we're just going to do this extra little loop. And halfway up that loop, there was a kind of long uphill that you had to go along a line of trees. And I remember the one guy, he was lagging behind again. And then when I stopped and turned and looked, he got off his bike, he picked it up, he threw it into the field, and then sat down and cried. And so I realized at that moment, I'd probably pushed him a little bit too far. Um, we probably overdid it a little bit that day. Um, but when you say, yeah, we'll go for a cycle, we'll, we'll go for a bike ride, we'll go for a hike, we'll go for a climb, we often don't always know, and I think God does that strategically, what that means and, 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 and what we're going to actually say yes to at the end of the day. And, um, and so the question is, you know, how can these disciples that are standing there just leave everything behind? What would make these guys with a job and their father and their family and and, and a path in life, what would make them literally drop everything? Because it doesn't say that they prayed about it, conferred about it, thought about it, spoke to some people about it. It says the word immediately. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. I mean, that is, that's a risk if I've ever heard. Some guy just walks along the beach and says, follow me. And you go, right, that's it, let's go. What would make them do that? And why would we do that? When we say, there's an adventure here at Anchor Church. There's a journey here at Anchor Church. Come follow us as we follow Christ. Come walk with us. Let's do this. Let's pioneer. Let's sacrifice. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. Let's do it. Why would we do that? Why would we say yes to that call? And why does the call of God resonate with us so much? Why does it resonate within us? I love that word resonate. It's an interesting word. And it comes from a Latin word which means to resound or resound. It's, it's to, you know, if you look at the word resonate or resound or reverberate, it's talking about resounding. It's, it's like there's an echo of something that's heard before. When we do our sound here at Anchor Church, we don't need to add reverb because this building has enough of it. But if we, if we were in a different building, we would add reverb to give it a little bit of liveliness because you won't just hear the sound once. There's a, there's a faint bit of an echo. It's something that you've heard before. It sounds, and then it sounds again, and then it sounds again, which is why it, it resounds, it resounds, it resonates within us. It reverberates within us, and it continues to echo. In other words, it is heard again. Why does the call of God feel like we're hearing it Again, when Jesus calls you, when he calls us as a community, and when you hear that call, the truth is, it's not the first time you're hearing the call. It's not the first time you've heard the call. Even if today is your first time in church, you've never been here before, you've never even thought about going to church before, if you're hearing the call of God in your heart today, it's not the first time you've heard it. It's not the first time God's spoken to you. In Galatians 1 verse 15, it says, but when he who had set me apart before I was born, we spoke about Lee being set apart this morning, when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace. 
when he who set me apart before I was born. Jeremiah 1 verse 5 says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you and appointed you as a prophet to the nations. It's not the first time you've been called. You've heard the call of God on your life since before you were born. There was something that was planted in you with creation. There was something that was planted in you at the moment of conception. There was something that was planted in you while you were in your mother's womb. Every one of your days was ordained before there was even one of them. It's in you. And so when you hear the call, something goes, ah, this is, I've heard this before. I felt this before. I've been waiting for this. I've been longing for this. So this is a call that resonates. I've heard that babies can begin to recognize the voices of their parents while they're still in the womb. And specifically, and this is a good one for the men, the bass notes, all right? So you got a lot of bass in your voice. And so I remember when Eli was a baby, I always used to make the deepest voice I can, like a literal Aslan impersonation. Like, I'm just gonna, and I would go, hello, Eli. You know, I was like, I think that's gonna make him hear me better. And I don't know if it's because he thought his dad was weird or because it actually worked, but, but even when he was a newborn and he was sleeping, he would open the one eye and he would kind of look because he's heard this voice before. It's a familiar voice. The Bible says, Jesus says, my sheep, they know my voice. My people know my voice and they won't follow the voice of a stranger. We've heard it before. We were created with the knowledge of that voice. We were created with that call on the inside of us. And so when God calls us, it's like something snaps into position and there's an awakening. You wake up. It wakes you up. It brings you out of sleep. It's a recognition like this is the thing I've been waiting for. I can imagine those fishermen standing, mending their nets, going, is this my life? I feel like there's more. How many of you have ever felt like, I'm doing a lot of stuff, I'm doing a lot of work, but is there more? Is there more meaning? Is there more purpose? Is there a path? Is there an opportunity? Is there something I'm called to? And I can imagine these disciples, they were there and they're mending their nets, and another long night out on the sea, and we've caught some fish, and I guess this is what we've signed up for. I guess this is our lives. And then in a moment, Jesus shows up, And he says, follow me. And the reason why they drop everything instantly is because something connects right here. Almost like they knew that this is what they had been waiting for all along. We live in anticipation of our own awakening. The Bible says all of creation groans in anticipation to see the sons of God revealed. All of creation is anticipation of you taking up the call of God on your life. And so the moment that call comes, it doesn't matter how obscure it might be or how short the moment might be or what church or building it might be in. It doesn't matter where you are in your life at that moment. When the call of God hits your life, you know exactly what it is. And you have no other option but to drop your nets and to follow him. Because you know this is the thing. This is what I've been waiting for. This is the reason I'm alive. And so we live in this expectation of our own awakening. On that day when you hear it, and maybe you're even hearing it for the first time this morning, you do not know why you know or how you know, but you know. You know this is it. This is it. And honestly, I could tell you that you, you might even die along the journey. Like Jesus speaking to the church in Revelation, he says, some of you are going to be tested. Some of you to the point of death, but remain faithful. It doesn't matter what's on the road because we can't do anything but answer the call that resonates here in our hearts. 
We can't do anything but answer and surrender and follow. It is the joy of our lives. It is the purpose of our lives. It's more valuable than anything we could hold on to in this world. So people often think that in order to answer the call of God on their lives, they need a big, booming kind of sound, an audible voice or a burning bush or some special moment where somebody picks you out of a crowd and says, you are called. The truth is you don't need any of that. You don't need any of that. It's great when it happens, and sometimes God confirms it that way, but it's only a confirmation because you've heard his voice before today, and today you're only hearing it again because it is a resounding and a resonating call. I love the story of Elijah. He uh, is, is fleeing for his life, and he's alone, and, and uh, there was an evil queen by the name of Jezebel who rose up in the land and killed all the prophets of Israel, and he's on the run, and he's in a... Just checking if you're still awake. Um, he's on the run, and, and, and he, he is standing in this cave on this mountain. He's hiding and fearing for his life, and he's complaining to God. And he's asking God for direction. He's asking God um, to speak to him. And then it says, and then God said, go out, in 1 Kings 19, verse 11 to 13, it says, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. So if you're waiting for God to speak, just put yourself in Elijah, because this really happened. He's standing on a mountain. He's like, okay, God, I'm here for you to speak to me. And then a great wind comes, and it literally rips rocks apart. You're like, oh my gosh, this must be God. He must be getting ready to speak to me right now. But it says, but the Lord was not in the wind. The Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. So now you're standing on the mountain. The wind, rocks are breaking. Things are going crazy. Now there's an earthquake. The entire mountain is shaking. You're like, surely God is showing up right now. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. So now everything's burning on this mountain. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. A still, small voice. You see, God doesn't need to speak to you through earthquakes and, and great mighty winds and, and, and great shows of power because He's put His voice on the inside of you. He's put His voice right here. You can hear Him, this still small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave and suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? I don't know if that was a rhetorical question to Elijah to ask him where he's at and where his faith is at in his hiding. But this morning, God might be asking you, not in a big overt sound, not even in the sound coming through my microphone, but in your own heart, what are you doing here? What has God called you to here? What is he speaking to your heart here? What is he leading you into here? How is he asking you to sacrifice here? How is he asking you to serve here? How is he asking you to build his kingdom here? How is he asking you to be a part of the story of redemption? We see that there are many times when God does this in the story of Lazarus who, who dies and four days later Jesus goes there and he'd been dead for four days and Jesus says, roll away the stone and he says the words, Lazarus, come forth, come forth. I love the fact that both Elijah and Lazarus came out of caves. Come forth. And Lazarus comes out. He comes alive when he hears the voice of Jesus. Ephesians 5 verse 14 says, 
for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper. Awake, O sleeper. And he's not just talking about people who sleep in church. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Christ will shine on you. Wake up. Be awakened. I love Isaiah 60 that talks about the same light. Christ will shine on you. A foretelling of that was in Isaiah 60, verse 1 to 3. It says, arise, shine. If you wondered where that came from, when people, when your parents walk into your room and say, arise and shine, when they used to do that, that's where it comes from, Isaiah 60. They were super scriptural. So, arise, shine, for your light has come. I'm going to say that to my kids when they're teenagers in the morning as I open the curtains, all right? So, for your light has come, and behold, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. The light shines on you. God's glory is on you, so get up. Get up. Get busy. Get on with what God has called you to do. Follow him. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise on you, and his glory will be seen upon you, and nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. This is foretelling what Jesus would be and what he would do, but it also foretells what he would do through us as his church. And as a church, we've heard his voice. We've heard his voice. As a community, we've heard it corporately, we've heard it individually. The Holy Spirit has deposited this vision into each of our hearts, and we have this sense, this inner feeling of what anchor is meant to be, what this journey is supposed to look like. We can feel it happening on the inside of us. There's an anticipation. And here's the thing. The disciples said yes, and then oftentimes there was a process, or there was a process that they needed. There was some pain in the progress that they needed to go through on the process. And so we say yes, and we have no idea. We had no idea in four years of building church here at Anchor. We had no idea the things we would face. But here's the thing, if you know that God has called you, you don't need to know what you'll face. You just need to know that he's faithful and that he'll always be faithful. But there are times when the, that anticipation of what we believe God is gonna do here at our, in our church and through our church, it can drive us crazy and it can cause us to, to stress about your calling and sometimes our flesh wants to say no. How many of you know that when you wake up in the morning, sometimes your flesh says no, right? When you wake up, when you woke up this morning, you're like, Yes, you know, if it wasn't for Jerry and the Banders, I probably wouldn't have gone to church today. It's rainy, it's overcast, I could make waffles and watch Netflix at home, right? So, so, so there's, there's a, a battle that we have with the flesh. My wife, she's not a morning person, she's amazing and she's beautiful, but she's not a morning person. And so before anything else happens in the morning, I make her a cup of coffee and, and then I set it down next to her on the bedside table and then I back away slowly, all right? <laughs> I close the door and I wait for her to come out at her own time. And so we battle with our flesh, but the Bible says the battle belongs to the Lord. See, he's already given us victory by his grace over our flesh. We can do the things that would have been impossible for us to do if we were in our own strength and in our own selfishness. And here's where it becomes real. We've been doing this series on Revelation and we look at how Jesus stands in the midst of the seven golden lampstands that represent the seven churches that he was speaking to at that time. And as a church, we've been on that journey where we've said, we don't just want to ask what do people want from church, but we want to ask the question, what does Jesus want from the church? And we realized 
that we actually will stand before him. The Bible says that elders serve the church as those who will give an account. We will stand before Jesus one day and we will give an account as to how we led Anchor Church. And in that moment, I don't want to say, Jesus, I pleased a lot of people. I want to say, Jesus, I was faithful to ask what would please you and to do that. Come on, that's the kind of community we want to be, a community that honors Jesus and that pleases God and that and brings glory to God. And so through what God has been speaking to us this year, which I think has been one of the most significant years we've already had in the life of our church, we've understood more than ever before that Jesus is in the room, that he is the one who tends to the lampstands, that, that looks after them, that builds his church, that leads his church, that guides his church, and he is here in our midst. And so as we look at our fourth birthday, I, th I thought, what would Jesus say if we, if we could give him the microphone this morning? And hopefully through the Holy Spirit, he's saying some things through me and, and through our church and through what we can experience here today. But, but if he was physically here and we gave him the microphone and said, Jesus, what would you say to Anchor Church? I thought about what he would say to us. And I thought that there are some characteristics that I believe Jesus would be very proud of when it came to our church. You know, the one thing that he calls every church in Revelation 2 is to faithfulness, to not give up, and we haven't given up. In four years, no matter what we faced, we've said we will never give up. We will continue pioneering until all of the breath that God put in us is spent. And I believe that pleases God when we say, God, I'm going to be involved, and I'm going to give everything, and I'm going to serve, and I'm, going to, I'm not going to give up. And I think if Jesus looked at us, he would say, church, you've endured. You've stood strong. You've, you've, you've stood fast. You've held fast to my grace. You know, when you raise your kids, you have values that you realize they don't have yet. <laughs> things that you value that they just don't value. Like a neat home and things that aren't broken. <laughs> you know, so um, so you, you, you value, and then you want to instill that value in them. And there's such a process of reiterating and, and, and speaking into and teaching and setting boundaries and encouraging and, and, and showing them to, so until the point comes where, where they adopt those values. And, and as a parent, you can stress about that. Will this look like, will these kids grow up to be the kids that, that I want them to be and, and that I believe God has called them to be? Can I instill these values in them? It's a painful process and every parent said amen. We know exactly what it feels like. But you know, there's also a beautiful moment when your kids begin to grow up and you recognize that in some area, they've actually got the thing that you were trying to instill. It's just coming out of them. Like if you're trying to instill kindness into your children, and all of a sudden you see them being selfless and kind towards their siblings or towards a stranger. Like when we pulled up at, at uh, a traffic light the other morning, and, and there was a guy that was asking for money, like here in Joburg, that's literally every single traffic light, and I, I, you know, I never have cash. I just, we, the day that the guys at the, at the traffic lights get snap scanned, I'm going to be bankrupt, okay? Because I, I never have anything to give, and that morning I happened to have two five rand coins in the front, and um, and so Eli said, Dad, there's somebody asking for money. Let's give him something. And my initial response was, I don't have cash because I normally don't. And then he looked down and he was like, no, no, you do. Actually, right over there, there's two five rands. And so Eli took it and, and, and he opened the window and he was so excited. He called this guy over and this guy came running over and Eli gave it to him. And he had this conversation with this guy until the light went green and we could drive away. And I, drove and I was like, it's just the most rewarding thing in the world when you see that your kids have begun to take on the characteristics that you longed for them to have, that God ordained for them to have. And can I tell you, when you 
plant a church and when you lead a church from the ground up, it very much feels the same way. For example, we wanted our church to have a culture of community, to really love people, The people would really feel welcome here, and that's something from day one, through what we say, through what we celebrate, through what we create space for, we've tried to instill in our church. And then four years later, we have people come and say, I've never felt this welcome in a church. I've never been welcomed this way. I've never been received this way. I've never experienced community like this before. And we're like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. What we hope for we are beginning to realize the things that we hope for. And it's not just about numbers and growth and size and and all those kinds of things. That'll come. But but we want the right culture. We want a God-fearing and faithful community. And we're seeing it happening. We're seeing our dreams come true right before our very eyes. We're seeing God's faithfulness at work. And so I believe Jesus would say, well done for being faithful. Well done for never giving up. Well done for truly loving people and being a true community. Well done for striking that balance between a passion for correct doctrine and theology and love for people. Because so many times churches have one or the other. They have a high level of theology, but they don't love people, which the Bible then says you're just, a, you're just making a noise. It's a clanging symbol. It means nothing. But at the same time, some people elevate the idea of love to the place where they tolerate any kind of doctrine, and Jesus is also not happy with that. And so to be able to balance theology and and, and love and and have a theology of love is an incredible thing. And I believe that that's something that God has allowed us to be. And I'm so proud of that church. I'm so proud of this community and what we are and what we have and what we are going to see in the future. And so I believe those are some of the things that Jesus would would say, well done, church, well done, good and faithful servants. But I also believe that Jesus would call us to more, that Jesus is calling us to more. And recently I I had this crazy dream, and I know I spoke about dreams as well last week, so some of you are like, how how much does this pastor actually work if he sleeps this much? But but it's actually because I sleep so little that God has to like jam-pack all these dreams in there. So, but I had this dream recently, and it, I don't know, it was like a dream or a vision. It was something that I, it felt so real that it might as well have been physically there. In fact, I woke up in the morning, and I could, I could actually feel it still on my hand. But, but, but the dream that I had was it, was, it felt tumultuous. It felt like I was, I was in this space, almost like that cave that John was on in Revelation 1. I was in the presence of God, but it just felt like I was being rolled by a wave. Like, I don't know where to look. It was overwhelming. I felt overwhelmed, I think, um, and, and Lee would probably have to testify to this, but I think I was even rolling around in the bed, um, just, just feeling like there's just so much happening. And in the moment, through all of the chaos, Jesus stepped forward, and he put his hand out to me, and he said, right, let's go. Just that, right, let's go. And in the dream, I took his hand, and I can so distinctly remember what his hand felt like. I woke up in the morning, I felt like I could still feel his hand on mine. And I know that God is preparing to take us somewhere. I know that Jesus has taken us by the hand, he's in our midst, and he's leading us somewhere. And so oftentimes on our birthdays, we want to talk about what is our vision for the four years that's coming. Can I tell you what our vision is? Our vision is to follow Jesus. Our vision is to go exactly where he tells us to go and do exactly what he calls us to do and and reach exactly the people that he tells us to reach and honor the calling that God has put on our lives. And I believe Jesus is calling us to do it together. I believe he's calling us to do it together as a community, as a group. What would Jesus say to us 
If he stood in front of us today and he said, right, Anchor Church, this is what I want you to do, I, I think it would be summarized by three things. And the first one is to reach the lost. This is not just a social club. This is not just a place where we hang out to hear a great message. This is not consumerism. This is not second to the mall where you get your coffee and you get your little bit of inspiration and then you go out and live unchanged. This is, this is not a, a commercial setup. This is the call of God. This is the church of God, the body of Christ. And Jesus said his mission was to seek and save that which was lost. And then he said to the church, as my father sent me, so I am sending you. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Make disciples, baptize those who believe. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. This is a do not pass go, do not collect $200 kind of a situation, all right? We're not doing our jobs unless we do that. And you're like, okay, great, pastor, you keep doing it from stage on a Sunday. That's not the idea. <laughs> the idea isn't we can do it, you can help. The idea is you can do it, we can help. We're here to equip you, but you're the ones that are meant to go out into this world and reach people and speak to them and touch lives and invite people and bring them into. We've created a space where people can meet with Jesus within a community where they're accepted. So let's bring them. I don't want to stand before Jesus one day and hear the words that he said in Revelation. You've done this well, you've done this well, you've done this well, but this I have against you. You never reached the lost. Church, we should be overflowing with lost people. People that don't know about God's grace yet. God loves them dearly and wants to see them saved and awakened. Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. That's what God wants for our city. That's what he wants for our world. And we are the ones who will answer that call the Bible says that God makes his appeal through us. Be reconciled to God. That's our message. Jesus would say to us, church, in the next four years, go out and make sure you reach the lost. He would say to us, make disciples. Make disciples. In other words, don't just get people converted and say, okay, I believe in Jesus, but we want to raise champions in this church. We want to raise up people who know their call, who know their identity, who are equipped, and who can be a part of building the church of God, who can, be, who can play their role in leading others, in helping others, in walking people through the situations and leading them on this journey. Jesus told the disciples, follow me, and then later on, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. That, in short, is a definition of discipleship. Let's lead people as we've been led. And if you haven't been led, get into a position where you're being led and then lead some others. I don't want to stand before Jesus one day and have him say, you didn't make disciples. You had a great Sunday service. A lot of people came to that and had fun burgers and listened to a cool band, but you didn't make disciples. This is serious for us. We believe we've been called to make disciples, and every single person in this room has the ability to disciple someone. Even if you pick one person and begin to walk on a journey with them, pray with them, stand with them, meet with them once a month for coffee and talk over the scriptures with them. We're looking at ways as a church how we can equip you better to do that. And that's what our vision is going forward. And finally, build the church. Build the church. Build the church. And that means getting involved. That means giving sacrificially. We will not be able to pioneer forward without the resources and the finances to be able to do that. We want to build a church that sees lives changed, and it's going to require the sacrifices of many, financially, time-wise, energy-wise, prayer-wise, in every other way, we want to be faithful with what God has given us. I love the fact that Jesus watched an old lady 
give the last of what she had into an offering and didn't stop her. He didn't run after her and go, oh, shame, man, shame, you have so little. You know what, the church has enough. Just you take your coin back and here's a couple extra coins for you to go on your way. You don't have to give. Because he understood that when we give, the Bible says, when you give to the poor, when you give into the kingdom, you lend to God and God is not a debtor of any man. He rewards, he provides, he gives. Paul actually says, I want you to give, not because of the fact that I want money, but the fact that there is a fruit that will abound to your account. And so when we give, we find that those who water are themselves watered, and there's a generosity that God begins to create in us, and what happens at the same time? The kingdom gets built. The church is built, and lives are changed. I believe those are the three things that Jesus would say to us. Reach the lost, make disciples, build the church. We have a big vision here at Anchor, and we're constantly challenged that it's not big enough. We're not going to play it small. We have one turn to run, and we're going to go all out to see the church built. For those of you that are wanting a nice small community church, we'll always have community, but we're not going to be nice and small. We're going to build the church that God has given us to build, what He has put that we sense in here and influence a city and a nation and nations of the world. And we do not want to just be an attraction. This is not a shopping mall. We don't want to just, we want to have our own building one day, and we're believing God for that, for the finances to be able to buy a property and build on that. But we don't just want to build a building to have a building. The Bible says that you, each of you, are living stones, and through your life, God is building a spiritual house. We are the stones that build the house spiritually that welcome people home. And so each one of us has a part to play in this journey. I imagine that analogy of us being built up as a spiritual house, each of us a living stone. And I imagined us arriving on a Sunday. Imagine a church building coming together and, and, and imagine you built your own house and you have a house. And then on, on Monday, the bricks are just like, that's cool, I'm off, thanks guys, that was a great service, and, and your bricks leave. Imagine your bricks leaving on Monday. All right, so, <laughs> the point is that this is something we give our lives to. We don't walk away from. It's not a part-time calling. It's not a part-time calling. We are living stones built into a spiritual house, and as God does something supernatural in this community, which He has has done and will continue to do, he will provide everything else that we need through the faithful church of God, through those who have caught that vision. We want our attraction to be the way that we love Jesus and the way that we love each other, and we're going to do it as a team. And so that's our vision. If you were wondering, what is Anchor going to do in the next four years? We've taken the hand of Jesus. We don't even know what that entails, but it doesn't matter because we know he leads us on the road. God is leading us, and we're all apart. We all play a part. I've said this before, and I'll, and I'll close by saying this again. I've taken Anchor Church as far as I can take it. In fact, I think it stopped. My capacity stopped long ago. When we go into the future, we go together. Where we go, we go together. We're going to build this church, and we're going to see lives changed. And I want to invite you to come on this journey with us. And at the same time, I want to give God all of the glory for what he has done up until this point. For his We're only faithful because he's been faithful to us. Amen? And so we want to give God all of the glory. I'm going to invite the band up again. 
uh, this morning. The band guys can just come forward. And we're just going to, as one final song of celebration, um, I know a lot's been said this morning, a lot's been done this morning. We've had, we've had a proper party in here, and now we're going to about to have a party after the party. But, uh, but I want us just to, to stand this morning. We're going to thank Jesus, and as a moment of celebration, we're just going to sing this song, and we're going to believe God that the best is yet to come, that we'll continue to build, that we'll continue to see His church expand, that we're going to continue to see lives change, that we're going to continue to see miracles happen. Come on, we believe that all these things are in store for us this morning. I'm going to pray for us.